Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. This WBEZ podcast is supported by Ravinia, with over 100 concerts under the stars this summer, including Daryl Hall and Elvis Costello, Nora Jones with special guest Mavis Staples, the Beach Boys with special guest John Stamos, Shaggy and TLC, Jason Isbell and the 400 Unit, the Chicago Symphony Orchestra, and more. Their 30-acre park is nestled in a gently wooded area. Bring your own picnic or eat at one of the park restaurants. Tickets available now only at ravinia.org. I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and this is Reset. It's a tragic story that can seem almost common in the city. A teen shot and killed outside their school. And in one recent week, tragedy struck four times to four teens to four families. The incidents are alarming and heartbreaking. To some, gun violence in Chicago can seem unsolvable. But a new initiative headed up by the violence prevention group Chicago Cred has an ambitious goal to reduce shootings by 50 percent in the next five years. We sat down with the group's founder and managing partner, Arnie Duncan. He's also the former U.S. Secretary of Education and former Chicago Public Schools CEO. Arnie starts by saying he's seen kids getting into gun violence younger and younger. Tragically, yes, Austin, and obviously to say it's heartbreaking is an understatement. And our program with Chicago Credit, which we can get into later if you want, we initially focused on 18 to 24-year-olds because that was mostly who was shooting and being shot. Mm-hmm. Uh, now we're down to working with 13-year-olds because that's who's caught in these cycles of violence. And so we have to get to kids younger. Um, I have some pretty specific thoughts on on, on you know, what to th- how to think about school safety. And we work very, very closely with CPS. Jadine Chow, who runs safety and security, is a great partner. They actually refer students they're struggling with to us at CRED, which is fantastic. But mm-hmm. in our program, Chicago CRED, for every young person, every teen, every man, every woman we work with, they all are given a life coach. And those life coaches are just critical to helping them transform, to helping them heal from trauma, to having them envision a positive future for themselves. And the, the reality is... 90% of our life coaches um, have criminal backgrounds. Mm-hmm. There's a very small set, but a, but a real set of students in most Chicago high schools. Let's just, I'll just make this up. Say 10 students in, the, in most CPS schools mm-hmm. who unfortunately are really, really at risk of shooting or being shot. And this is not a critique of traditional social workers and counselors. I, I know what they do. Obviously, I, I ran CPS. But what we need is people who are closer to the ground, who know the violence dynamics, who know the gang dynamics and the conflicts. And we know violence flows from the streets into our schools, yeah. from our schools into our streets. And what I thought about is I would love to have it's like a new job title, a new job description. Yeah, this is a brand I, new initiative. I would love to, to have I would love to have life coaches in high schools working with a small set of students who are, who are very much at risk. Now, the challenge, which I understand, is CPS has a policy that folks with criminal backgrounds can't come in. That is but, correct. But what I worry— It's also state law. It's also state law, so I understand all that acutely. Uh, but what I worry about is that the, the young people who need the most help, who are most at risk of shooting and being shot, are denied the people— who could be the most helpful to them. Mm-hmm. And that mismatch is leading to literally deadly consequences. So do you so, want to see that law changed? I, I think we have to think differently if we want to save lives. So whether it's changing the law, whether it's making an exception, whether it's figuring out how to work with those students after school at the Boys and Girls Clubs or the YMCA or the Park District with a life coach, 
Um, we, we just can't sit here and throw up our hands and say that the law is the law. Because right now, as you said, uh, tragically, kids are dying literally walking outside of school. Yeah. For me, it's never just about you know those kids. It's about the level of trauma that kids across Chicago are living with every day. It's hard to concentrate in school and think about algebra and biology and going to college mm-hmm. if you're just trying to survive. We have to make it easy for our kids. I, I always say it is never our children's fault that they live like this. It's our fault as adults. We're not doing enough to protect them and keep them safe. Speaking of the adults, I mean, how do you assure parents, right, that these violence prevention workers who, as we've talked about, they might have criminal backgrounds, that they won't be a bad influence on their kid? So, Are there safeguards that can yeah, be put in place? Again, if, if we were to do this, um, obviously it'd be something where you would have to have parental consent. And every young person who comes into our program, obviously their parents you know, want that. They're looking for help. Frankly, many parents are desperate for help. We do home visits, we talk about this, and it's a partnership. And I just wanna be very, very clear. You know, many folks who have, uh, you know, may have been part of the cycles of violence in the past have come out. They are not the problem. They are literally the solution to the problem. We can't win this without them. We have many folks on our team that tragically, you know, served long prison sentences, several committed homicides, quite frankly, in the past, Mm -hmm. but we cannot win without that. And I just, as a society, we need to understand uh, if we just throw away the key and throw away these resources, um, we can never get there. We need their leadership. We need their expertise. We need their heart for their community. They're devoting their lives to righting their wrongs and helping out Mm -hmm. and giving our young people access to great positive role models is desperately needed. Is there something that adds to that influence when, especially thinking of, of young people, when the person sort of uh, guiding them, coaching them, these violence prevention workers, has been through the very worst? 100%. It's total credibility. Because they, they, they hear they, about the, the worst people, no, case scenario. I, I've that been there. I've been there and I've come out of it. And we had a case, I mean, literally in our program, literally last week, last Tuesday, we had a young man uh, who's, who we've been working with who saw another young man in our program who unfortunately shot him two years ago. First time you've seen him since that incident. And he said to me, Arnie, I've thought about retaliation for two years and I saw him and it wasn't in my heart anymore. Wow. My heart had changed. I didn't want to do him harm. And he said, I actually surprised myself. I'm getting chills now telling you this story. And the reason he had changed is because of relationships. Relationships change lives. Lives. His life coach and his mentors in our program helped him see something different. Obviously, as you know, all the street code is to get retaliation, get your lick back. That's the kind of transformation we need. We need people to heal from trauma, mm-hmm. heal from being hurt and ideally reconcile at some point and even possibly forgive. And those life coaches are a critical piece of that of that puzzle. You're calling for violence prevention workers in schools, and this is at the same time that Mayor Brandon Johnson wants to see an end to police in schools. Talk more about how Chicago Cred's approach is different. And again, this is not, to be clear, we're really focused on our work and with our partners across the city. We're not really in schools now, and, and, and this would be something that CPS would have to do, and these wouldn't be Chicago cred folks. This would be uh, you know, CPS employees. But I, I'm just repeating myself. I always say young people don't lack role models. Just some of them have the wrong role models leading them the wrong way. Mm-hmm. No, one, no one does not have, everyone has a role model. It's not an absence of that. It's the absence of positive role models. And surrounding our young people, um, our boys, our girls, you know, 13, 14, 15-year-olds who are caught in these cycles um, is desperately important. And having people, as, we, as you talked about, who, who can relate to their lives, mm-hmm. um, who have lived this stuff, who may have done some things. And we always say experience can be the best teacher, but it doesn't have to be your own experience. It can be somebody else's. And for our life coaches to say, I've been there. I felt that hurt. I felt that anger. I felt that that fury, that rage. And here's what I did, and I regret doing that. Or here's what I, I didn't do. And I'm so proud I was able to do that. And here's what I'm doing now. 
our young people need those very, very real conversations. We have kids that I don't, you know, we have kids who are, you know, tiny who are walking around with guns almost as big as they are. I mean, mm -hmm. it's 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 a different world now, and we just have to adjust to that reality. I hate it, but we can't deny that reality. We got to deal with it. I want to dig further into your organization's new anti-violence initiative, Arnie. Uh, what exactly does uh, SC2 stand for? Yeah, and what does that aim to do? Trying to scale safety across Chicago. Okay. Uh, and we know there, there are about 15, 16 neighborhoods south and west sides that unfortunately produce 75, 80% of our violence. And we're at a, just an unprecedented moment. And I always say this is the hardest work I've ever done. It's honestly the most heartbreaking, unfortunately. It's also the most inspiring. And we just had last week an amazing session at the South Shore Cultural Center, over 600 people there. We had the mayor, we had the governor, we had the speaker of the house, we had the Senate president, we had the police chief, we had folks from Cook County, we had everyone from, from the philanthropic community, all our nonprofit partners, business leaders, everybody one table coming together saying what's happening here in Chicago is untenable. Mm. Chicago is six times more violent than New York. We're three to four times more violent than LA. We're the third largest city. We have more homicides than either one of those cities and almost more than them added together, which is insane. Yeah. Well, did you it's, walk away from that with any solutions? Yeah, so that we have a, a tremendous sense of hope here. And so what we're looking to do is to scale this violence prevention work into other neighborhoods with our partners across the city and having the business community investing, having the philanthropic community investing, the public sector, state, county, city are all investing. We have a chance to do something that has never been done before in Chicago. So these next couple of years are critical. We want to scale as fast as we can to other neighborhoods with this one table approach, mm -hmm. but also do it as thoughtfully and carefully as we can. And so for me, that the heart of our work at CRED has always been individual transformation. That is powerful, is incredible to see over time. Um, but we have to move beyond that to neighborhood violence oppression. So if you're changing individual lives, but the bullets are still flying in the neighborhood, you're actually not necessarily reducing their risk. And yeah. our, all of our aim is to reduce risk. So if we could work with enough folks at scale in enough neighborhoods, then we have a chance to dramatically reduce violence to your point, try and bring it down 50%. Yeah, and, and when you hear numbers like that, right, you're aiming to reduce shootings by 50% in the next five years, uh, reduce shootings and homicides by 75% uh, within the next decade. Uh, this uh, initiative calls for roughly quadrupling outreach in, in the most crime-stricken neighborhoods here in Chicago. Where are you basing those numbers? Yeah, so, so we, we, are, we are incredibly, a lot of heart in our work, but just incredibly data-driven. And just to give you one example, so we were working in North Lawndale, which as we know historically is unfortunately you know, amazing assets in, in North Lawndale, amazing people, but also always historically one of the most violent neighborhoods in Chicago. We were working with about 200 people and thinking we were doing a pretty good job and came back and got data that showed there are about 1,250 people in North Lawndale alone mm -hmm. at acute risk of being shooting or being shot. So we weren't even at 20%. We weren't in the game. And so bringing other partners over the past two years, we've seen significant reductions in violence in North Lawndale. Long way to go, but North Lawndale is getting safer faster than the rest of the city, which means it's actually helping to bring down the city's overall numbers, which is pretty special. Mm -hmm. So long way to go. This is difficult work. Collaboration is, is hard and messy. Right. Um, but if we can scale this to other neighborhoods with multiple partners, whether it's, you know, Englewood or Austin or Little Village it's or Humboldt Park. sort of using Park, Lawndale as a blueprint. As, as, a, as, a, as a starting point and continue to scale that work. And what we, we all know, none of us can do this work by ourselves. This is nothing that doesn't humble you, but coming together, this one, one table approach and a sense of urgency, um, we can fundamentally break through. Um, I was born in 1964. 
since 1965, basically my entire lifetime, we have not been below 400 homicides in Chicago. It's absolutely crazy. So if we can get mm. below 600 and 500 and 400, keep knocking it down, we have a chance to do something that's never been done here in Chicago. So not mm. easy, no guarantee of success, but we have a chance to fundamentally break through, which is incredibly exciting and motivating to me. I mean, admittedly, you, you say this is the, the, some of the most difficult work you've ever done. Why do you keep doing it? That's a deep question. I don't want to get emotional here on this call, but um, a couple of reasons. Growing up playing basketball on the south and west sides, I had a set of older guys who protected me and gave me safe passage in and out of neighborhoods. And tragically, I started to lose some of them to gun violence when I was 14, 15, 16 years old. Mm -hmm. And at that point, you don't really have a social worker or counselor. You just sort of internalize that, and it, it shapes you and, and honestly probably scars you in some ways. They're a little bit difficult to talk about. Fast forward 20 years to taking over the Chicago Public Schools when I was 36. Um, lots I'm proud of. We can come back on another show and talk about the successes then. But on my watch, during my seven, seven and a half years leading Chicago Public Schools, on average, we had a child killed every two weeks due to gun violence. It was a devastating rate of loss. Never in a school, but on the bus going home, walking to the corner store, you know, sitting in their living room, uh, getting ready for school on a Wednesday morning. And I don't think I know we as adults fail to keep our kids safe here in Chicago. Mm -hmm. I kept a poster, uh, a drawing that a young man had written, for, had, had done for me above my desk at CPS, and it was a picture of him climbing up a ladder. And his caption, what he wrote was, if I grow up, I want to be a fireman. And that's the reality for so many of our kids on the south and west sides, as union listeners know, is if I grow up, not when I grow up. And that for me is a devastating reality. And we went to D.C., our family, in 2008, and very naively, which shows how not smart I am, I really thought Chicago was at rock bottom in terms of violence. I thought it couldn't get worse. Mm -hmm. For a whole host of reasons, it got a lot worse. So for me coming home, this felt like the crisis facing the city. Um, honestly, I felt like it wasn't really being addressed. Chicago's given me every opportunity in my life, educationally, athletically, socially, culturally. And to come back and not work on this just wouldn't have been right. I, I say that we're, we're, we're you know, Motivated by successes, but haunted by our failures. This is an area where I feel all of us, myself at the top of the list, have failed historically, and we have to we have to write that for our kids. They deserve so much better. Have we seen this kind of uh, public-private collaboration uh, that you're proposing here in any other U.S. city? We've never seen anything at this scale. So for me, this is obviously hugely, you know, critically important for Chicago. But truly, it can be a national model. And we're going to have bumps in the road. This is hard, difficult work. We're going to have failures. We're going to, frankly, have tragedy. And we have to stay at the table together. But when you have all the foundations, community, the business sector, government all working together, public sector has been fantastic in starting to invest in this. We have a chance to make history for ourselves and to be a model for the country. Yeah. Well, to that end, how will you measure success then for the this program? Is, I mean, this is very, very easy. I, you know, Our scorecard is pretty simple. And you look at each neighborhood, and we, we track this every week. Um, and we're looking at homicides, and we're looking at shootings and yeah. driving those down. There are lots of early indicators. We put in place non-aggression agreements. We put in place peace treaties. We count for every individual who's getting uh, you know, mental health counseling, who's getting trauma support, who's getting their high school diplomas. We help on jobs. There are lots of things we do. But if we're doing that and not driving down the violence, then we're not really achieving our mission. So mm -hmm. just over time, not overnight, and we'll have good times and bad times, yeah. but looking our our homicides going down and our shootings going down in neighborhoods where we are at scale. Yeah, so given all that, do you have a sense of a time frame of when it would be possible for you to see any measurable change? 
Yeah, I mean, we've seen measurable change in two years in North Lawndale. So this is something we're, me we're measuring every single day and obviously we're in it, it for the long time. haul. It takes time. But for me, I, you know, we set those goals. We're talking about a 50% reduction in five years. I always try and set what I call ambitious but achievable goals. And I absolutely think we have a chance to achieve that. And I'll also add, and just I'm always honest or better worse, um, I'm a big believer in the new police chief. Um, I thought the, the previous police chief probably a really good man but didn't understand Chicago. Um, the police have a role to play. We have a role to play. We all have different roles to play. How is CPD I, responding to this uh, initiative? Chief, chief Superintendent Snelling, I just have tremendous respect for I, I know him from the streets. Uh, when there's a challenge, he's out there with us, 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock at night. I would say very candidly when, there's, when there has been a challenge with an officer mistreating people, we have let him know he has investigated. He has removed that officer, which is very unusual for folks to do. And I think what, what we want is to have a really clear professional understanding. Police need to solve homicides, yeah. <laughs> and we need to prevent them. And you need both sides of that. We have different roles to play. We have tremendous respect for his leadership and his role, and very thankfully, he has tremendous respect for our role and what we're trying to do. He understands we can't just arrest our way out of this. we got to give people an off-ramp to these lives of these cycles of violence. Yeah. So would you say CPD is then a collaborator or a partner in this work? I, I, absolutely. And, again, he <laughs> – Superintendent Snelling came last week, uh, spoke passionately so that meeting about this with all work, the business yeah. leaders. and uh, and you know community partners, and we're all in this together. So uh, no guarantee of success, but we have a chance to do something that has never happened here. Our, our children, our families, our neighborhoods, and ultimately our city deserves so much more. As I travel, I'm traveling today. As I travel, and people ask about Chicago. All they want to ask about now is violence. They used to ask about Michael Jordan. This is our reputation. I talk to folks in the real estate community here who say people are just you know bailing out of the city. There's a there's a violence real estate tax in Chicago. We you know we know the businesses that are leaving. We know the families that are leaving the south and west sides to keep the, to keep their boys safe. And so that the cost to Chicago is just extraordinary at every level. We can't be a great city if we don't become a safer city. So for me, this is the, the critical, the most pressing issue. This is the cancer eating the whole the soul of our city. We have to we have to get to a better place. We have to do it together. That's Arnie Duncan, founder and managing partner of the gun violence prevention nonprofit Chicago Cred. Thank you so much. Thanks for the opportunity. Good to see you. This episode of the Reset Podcast was produced by Andrea Guthman. It was edited by Meha Ahmed and mixed by Brenda Ruiz. Every day on Reset, we bring you the latest local news and national stories. If you like what you hear, well, consider subscribing and leaving us a rating. I'm your host, Sasha Ann Simons. Thank you so much for listening. We'll meet again tomorrow morning. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR.